It's way better than it was Thursday night. For you guys who were here Thursday night, man, it was, it was something else. But, man, I had fun doing it. <laughs> I did. A um, couple quick things before we get into our study. My wife, Blanca, would just want to thank every one of you for Blossom. Um, Blossom, again, last week everything was all dolled up here. But the uh, whole craft fair, all, that, all the proceeds go to missions. And so many of you just donated your talents, your crafts. Um, the things that you guys were made were incredible. I mean, absolutely incredible. And um, just your support, your generosity, all of that. I think they raised over $3,500. That, that would more than likely cover at least three to four missionaries for a whole year. So, uh, they are so excited, super excited. And I just kind of want to put a plug in for the Christmas thing that we're going to be doing at the PAC. It is the brainchild of Jim Anderson. Uh, you're never, I don't think you're, I don't know, I've never seen anything like it. Um, I've, you know, they're kind of letting me in on some of the stuff that's happening. It is super incredible. If I could use the word epic, I will. It is epic, <laughs> epic. It, is, it will be epic. Um, I don't know if it can win some award. What do they win? Uh, Tony or something like that? Oh, Tony. Yeah, never mind. But anyways, it, it is just going to be amazing. You, uh, I encourage you, be here, or not be here, but at the pack. But use it as an outreach. Uh, bring somebody with you. If you have family coming and visiting with you, say, hey, guess what we're doing before we unwrap the tamales. Uh, we're going to... Um, we're going to the most amazing Christmas play or production. I, I don't even know what to call it, except it's going to be amazing. So uh, keep it up in prayer um, and see what God wants you to do with that, okay? If you will, make your way over to First um, Peter chapter, chapter 2. After a week off, we are back into a chapter that is quickly becoming a favorite of mine. And I would, I would encourage you to read like the next several verses after what we finish today um, because it just speaks about you. It just speaks about what God thinks of you and what he has done for you. I don't want to give it away, but read it and then figure it out. But let me start off this morning by asking you a question or several questions. Which is easier? I mean, you don't have to out loud. I don't know, what does it call it? Rhetorical, don't answer. Just think about it in your little pea brain up here. Um, which, is, which is easier, to build the building or to tear it down? Now, <clears throat> it would take a lot more time, effort, and planning to build the building than it would take to tear it down. But even as I thought about that, I thought, okay, with today's regulations and all the, all the stuff that goes on, you construction workers know, it's like you probably need just as much time, effort, and planning to tear it down. But be that as it may, <clears throat> it would probably be easier to tear it down than to, to build it. What about relationships? Are they easier to build up or to tear down? I know that some people have an easy time starting relationships, but it does take time and effort um, to to keep it going, to 
to build on it, to maintain relationships. And, and oftentimes, one word, one phrase can destroy it all that quick. It's like, then you guys are like sworn enemies for the rest of your life. What about this question? Which is easier, to, to grow in the Lord or not to grow in the Lord? I, I would say that it takes time, effort, and even planning. These things will be essential, vital to grow in the Lord. And if you don't want to grow in the Lord, then you don't have to do anything. Oh, you can still consider yourself a Christian and be saved by the skin of your teeth, but you're never going to grow. I was thinking of, like, what, what would be an example of something that would just, if you just left it alone, what would happen? And I came up with this because of where we live. We often see um, a house that, that has been abandoned on a property or somebody who has worked on their property and all of a sudden they just let it go. And after time, and I know it takes time oftentimes, uh, because there's no time and effort to keep it up, um, it just it just begins to just just become like the desert again, <laughs> you know. It just kind of I've, I've noticed that some houses when they are abandoned, like overnight, because we have some rascals up here that would go and just go wreak havoc and just make it look so abandoned, so worthless. There's no life in it. You could tell in some of these houses. It's dead. It looks dead. And that brings me to my last question in this introduction. What is more productive? Something that is alive or something that is dead? Now again, the answer is quite obvious. That which is alive is way more productive than that which is dead. And so the tone of this introduction is obvious. If you want things to be built up, to move forward, to grow, to be productive, then there has to be time, effort, and even planning to continue to move forward, to make things happen. Otherwise, things don't get better. They get worse. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We'll cover to verse 8 this morning. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and every and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scriptures. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, 
the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed going back to verse 4 where we're going to start off this morning <clears throat> after he has just kind of given us the contrast of what to put away, what we need to lay aside, what we need to have no trace of in verse 1. He reminds us in verse 2 that we are new, that there's something that has changed within us, that we should be desiring the things of God and not the things of this flesh or of this world. And so he's telling us, if indeed you have tasted of these things. Now, this is an interesting statement in verse 4. Coming to him as a living stone. As we consider the phrase living stone. Now, I am no rockologist. <clears throat> or petrologist or geologist. But I normally do not look at stones or rocks as having life in them. If anything, they are inanimate objects. Good for throwing at stray dogs and stuff. Um, that have no life in them. I, I don't put rocks together and then go water them and see if they will grow. If I did that, I would look as dumb as a rock doing that. I don't understand rock gardens. I really don't. It's like, really, what do you do with that? You know, pet rocks. Here, sucker, buy this one. <laughs> um, but we can put rocks and stones together and form something out of them that, that, that is useful. It could be used to provide shelter and protection. Things like that if we use them properly. But in and of themselves, they just can't do anything. Because rocks and stones, they're dead. They're not living organisms. In the sense that they can grow like that. Peter is telling us. That if we are to grow thereby, in verse 2, if we are to grow as newborn babes that have tasted that the Lord is gracious, we need to come to the source that gives life. That source of life, we need to come to it. Again, automatically, we would not think of going to a stone to get our sustenance our nourishment or our nutrition. Even Jesus, when, when talking about the Holy Spirit and asking for the Holy Spirit, he says, if a son comes to a father and asks for bread, the dad is not going to give him a, a, a rock or a stone and say, here, go chew on that, suck on that, see if you can get anything from that. He wouldn't do that because he knows that the rock would not satisfy what this kid needs. Peter tells us, or is telling us, that we are to come 
to him. We are to come to Jesus as a living stone. He is a living stone. Now, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking of another group. I'm sure the children of Israel, when they came to Moses and they are dying of thirst in the wilderness, and they're asking for water, they must have thought that Moses was crazy when he is talking to them and taking them to a rock. You guys want water? Come here, come with me. And he stands before this massive rock and he's saying, I will give you water. And they're probably going, from where, Moses? Where? Where are you going to get this from? Little did those people know as they're standing in front of this inanimate object, as they thought, that there was life in that rock. As Moses struck the rock, this inanimate object all of a sudden splits and this water just comes gushing out. And all of a sudden, to their surprise, they had come to a living rock and had met their every need. It took care of sustaining them. So many people, and they had more than enough to drink in their animals. This rock, this living rock, this word living, in verse 4, is the same word that is used in John chapter 4, verse 10, and in John chapter 7, verse 38. When Jesus is at the, at the well with the Samaritan woman, and he asks for a drink and, and things like that, and, and he ends up telling her, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink, because he says, I am the living water. And then when he is talking to the people at one of the feasts in Jerusalem, he shouted out to them as they are walking back and forth with pitchers of water, and he yells out, I am the living water. Again, when we look in John chapter 6, verse 51, as the multitudes are following Jesus, and he had fed them earlier, and they're following because they want substance. They want something from Jesus, and Jesus ends up telling them, I am the living bread. It's the same word that is used here for a living stone. It's interesting because even of what, what we have covered already in 1 Peter, he has talked about a living hope. And he has, he's, he's talked about that the word of God which lives and abides forever. And now he's talking about a living stone. Peter understood this word stone. You see, before Peter's name was Peter, it was Simon. But Jesus changed it to Peter, which in the Greek means Petros, a stone. So he understood what this significance of this name is. And perhaps Peter, as he's writing, he's remembering the conversation that Jesus had with him about the church and upon what it would be built on. In Matthew 16, 18, and you can jot these down. Jesus speaking, he says, 
And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And when you look at these two words, Peter and rock, it goes more like this, and I say, and I also say to you that you are Peter, Petros, a stone, and upon this rock, Petra, a massive rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, will not prevail against it. It's believed that they were up in the northern part of Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, and, and there's this big old cliff that's just this massive rock, and he is pointing to something like that, compared to a little stone, Peter, and this massive rock, it says, upon the massive rock, or he could have been, been pointing at himself. But Jesus is the rock. He is no ordinary rock. No, Jesus is the living rock. He is a living organism. He is considered the rock. And it is upon him which the church would be built. Because the church itself is also a living organism. It's interesting that, that Jesus, though, would use a stone like Peter to preach the first message at the birth of the church. I love that. He would use a, a, a stone to say, hey, let's start building. Let's start adding on here. And from that day until right now, the church continues to live and breathe and grow because of the living stone. Isn't that amazing? Because he is the living stone. It tells us as we continue on, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. The rejection of Christ led to his death. Those he, he came to, those who he came to save killed him. Man. He came to them. The man killed him. Because they weren't expecting something like him. They expected a Messiah that would free them, that they would deliver them from Roman bondage, but yet he came to deliver them from sin. No one else could do that. But that's not what they were expecting, and so they rejected him. But he was chosen of God because God knew that he would be the only one that could pay the price to save man. He would be the only one. And that, and that the, it would be only through the precious blood of Jesus that, ca that could happen. And so he is chosen and he is precious. You also, it says in verse 5, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, an offering to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and I'm paraphrase it, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But Jesus, our living rock, has made us alive. Peter here calls us living stones. If you are in Christ, if you have come to him, you have become 
a living stone. You have become a part of, or you are now attached to, the main stone. Because Jesus has poured out life into you. You are no longer a regular stone. Some inanimate object that just takes up space. (laughs) That has no life in it or purpose. No, you are a living organism. When you come to Christ, you become a living organism for him. Just like he is. That is being built up. And that phrase speaks of to be a house builder. To be a house builder. To construct as opposed to destruct or to knock down. I don't know if destruct would be a word. I know destruction is, but destruct. He is calling us as living stones to construct, to do something. To be productive in one way or another. Because we're alive, we're not dead. It's as if we have become add-ons. You become an add-on if you are in Christ. He is the, 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 the main stone, the cornerstone, and we are being added on to him to build this spiritual house. The spiritual house that God is building is that which is called in the New Testament, the church. Most mornings I come and greet you as, good morning church. I'm not coming and greeting the building. Hey, good morning church. That'd be awkward. In other words, we are not a physical building. Like in the Old Testament. He is talking about our physical bodies because it is people that make up the church. You are the church. This building has no life in it, not whatsoever. I mean, we can decorate it, we can make it look like it's festive, but it has no life whatsoever. Oh, it has energy because it has electricity, but it has no life. You, you are the one that makes up this church. It becomes a church when you step in it. You are the church. In essence, God is taking time. He is making effort and he has been planning his work, adding stone upon stone to make up this glorious church. Isn't that amazing? You know, I I just... not in my notes, but I just, I, I've been thinking about this. And, you know, the Lord's laying something on my heart for vision for next year. And you're going to be a part of it. I mean, I hope that you felt like you've been a part of all the visions that the Lord has been giving us as a church. But I think First Peter has just been stirring my heart. And so be praying for me because I, I really want to just make sure our board is on board with it, my leaders are on board with it, that we have been praying this vision through, and in January sometime, I want to just take a Sunday off, not off as in not being here, but off from First Peter and share this vision with you, but I've been just, it's just been stirring in my heart, and, and, and studying and learning and, and looking at how God 
is, is, is making time and effort and planning to build this church. I mean, he's talking about the church as a whole, but I'm talking about this church, Feeling, as to what God's stirring in my heart for you and for us. But anyways, just be praying for me and our, our leaders and stuff. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, this is what the Apostle Paul says as we're talking about this church. He says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You are the church. You are to use your, your body, your temple, to glorify God because you are the church. You have been added on. You make up the building of the church in total. From the beginning on Pentecost till, till, till the last day, you will be part of that church. And I just think it's phenomenal that, that we are or we have been given the responsibility to make up this church. As the church, we will be rejected by man, just like Christ was rejected. But our consolation, our comfort, our solace is that we are chosen by God and we are precious to him just like Jesus is. We are that precious to him. That's what I'm telling you. Read ahead a little bit from verse 9 on to find out. Not right now. Don't read right now. <laughs> to figure out, man, just who you are. You are the church. So now that we have become part of the church, he says, now that you are living stones, you are being built up in the spiritual house a, a holy priesthood. A holy priesthood. Not only do we make up the church, but we get to serve in it. We get to serve in it as well, just like the priest did in the Old Testament. We get to, to be the servers. We get to be the, the hands and feet. We get to do everything within the church, not just me. You, you are the church. I'm not just the church. Now, the big difference between back then and now is that back then you had to be born into a particular tribe to serve in the church or into the, the tabernacle or the, or the temple. And you had to be even more exclusive if you were going to be a priest in that temple or that tabernacle. You had to be born of the uh, of the family of Aaron. Not just everybody that was tri of the tribe of Levi could serve as priests. It was only Aaron's family. And even then, there was only one high priest at one time. And he could only go into the presence of God one time of one time of one time a year. 
And that's the only time he could enter into the holies of holies, into the presence of God. But we don't have to be like that. Jesus is our high priest, and he's already ripped the veil, and he's already opened it up, and he says, hey, come on in. We get to enter in with him and through him because we have become a part of him as living stones. It's not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. Again, what a contrast from those who were, who, who were born into the tribe of Levi. They had no other choice. They had to be servants in the tabernacle, in the temple. That was their job. They couldn't like, oh, I don't feel like, I'm sorry, bro. You are a Levite. That's your job. But we, we don't get treated like that. We don't have to become born again. But if we desire to be born again and we become born again, then shouldn't we have a desire if we are like included to be his servants? Shouldn't we desire to serve along the chief high priest (laughs) to be able to do what he wants us to do? And as far as sacrifices are concerned, we know that Jesus became the final sacrifice the once and for all sacrifice. So what else? What else can be acceptable? an acceptable sacrifice? The only thing that is acceptable is a living sacrifice. Jesus died once and for all. God does not look upon dead sacrifices anymore. Anything that was Offered up to God as a dead dead sacrifice after Jesus has been rejected. Because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. There is nothing that we need to sacrifice anymore. We need to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. As it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Again, jot these down or if you're quick enough, go there. Because I got them written down here. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And if you have an NIV, it puts it this way, which is your spiritual act of worship. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Man. That's the only thing we can do. That's the only thing that we should do. We can't do anything else. Nothing else is good enough. We cannot sacrifice anything else except ourselves. But you can't give them a dead sacrifice. He wants a living sacrifice. Why? Because you're a living stone. You're a living organism. You have the living God living inside of you. (laughs) Wish my voice was great, man. I would have exploded on that one. (laughs) You guys are lucky today. Verses 6 through 8, as we finish off, or as we almost finish off, Peter here, in these next three verses, 
assembles three passages from the OT, from the Old Testament, to support his argument that the stone that he has been talking about, he has been referring to here, is referred to back in the Old Testament. That that, what was referred to in the Old Testament, is in fact the living stone that he is mentioning here. And the first one in verse 6 is a quote from Isaiah, chapter 28, verse 16. It sounds a little different back in Isaiah, and I'll read it from Isaiah. It says, therefore... Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Isaiah prophesied 800 years prior that this stone would be foundational, it would be tried, and it would be precious. And sure enough, that's Jesus. He is our foundation. He was tried, and he is precious in the sight of God, as we just read. And Peter uses the word chief here, as in the big chief, big kahuna. No, kidding. As the most important, (laughs) as the most important, that we get a better understanding when we hear that word chief. We get the better understanding of just how important he is. And Jesus is referred to as a cornerstone. He is the chief cornerstone. In this day and age, we don't, we don't see or use very many cornerstones for our buildings today. They're more of aesthetic or more facade, more, more of a show something to look at. But back then, most of the buildings were made out of cut stone. And the cornerstone was essential for its foundation. It was put into place in such a way that intersecting walls would, would come together and it would, it would be a part of this whole building. It would align this whole building and bring it all together. And so that cornerstone was essential. If you had that off, everything was off. Was off. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 20 and 22. He says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We are being added on to this chief cornerstone. The foundation has been laid and those who have been sent out, those who have been called are now a part of this this cornerstone. And those who believe, those who trust and adhere to and rely on Him will by no means be put to shame. If you are an add-on to the church, there is no shame being in the church. The assurance here of by no means that little phrase there is so emphatic that it's something like this, no, not, never. What is that, like a triple negative? No, not, never. You will never, ever, ever, not, ever, 
No. Be shamed or ashamed. Being a part of the church. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious. But the believer holds in high esteem and honor and that is precious. The world looks on in disdain and contempt. There is a war on us from this world and we're feeling it day in and day out. Anything that has to do with God what has to do with Jesus or his church or Christianity is being looked upon and we hold him as precious. Those of us who believe he is our everything and we are a part of that. And when they come against Christ, I know we are not to take it personal because he told us that he would, but we take it personal. When they come after our Jesus, then they're talking about us, but he's big enough to fight our battles. You know, you throughout this time, especially the, this Christmas season, man, there is so much disdain for this holiday, man. They want to get Jesus as far away as possible from this holiday. And I don't know how they can do that. I mean, I, I, I do know how they can do that. But, man, there is no way. People will continue to celebrate Jesus. There is a contempt. The world is at war with God, and yet he sent his son to save them. You see, God is not at war with them. He's not at war with the world. He loves the world. He loves them so much that he sent his son to die for them, and yet they continue to reject him. They continue to look on him with disdain and contempt. The next quote here is from Psalm 118.22 and it is verbatim here. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus quoted the same verse as he was speaking to the chief priests. I'm going to turn over to Matthew chapter 21 and read a little portion of when Jesus uses this portion as he speaks to these religious leaders. Matthew 21, beginning in verse 42. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? Now that was a slap in the face right off the bat. He's talking to, to the chief priests and the, the, the Pharisees. They knew the word, but he says, Haven't you read it? I love that about Jesus. Smart Alex sometimes. <laughs> Like, haven't you read? Oh, yeah, you have. He says this, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in, your, in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to the nation, given to a nation bearing the fruit of it, and whatever falls on this stone will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now then, the chief priests and the Pharisees heard, now when they had heard this parable, 
his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him as a prophet. Jesus spoke right to them, saying that he, he was the chief cornerstone that they were rejecting and that he would take the kingdom away from them and give it to another. This wasn't the first time in First Peter, as we read here in verse 7, it wasn't the first time that Peter had quoted this scripture when he was before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4. I'm going to read it. I have it written right here, but you can turn over there. Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. Peter, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and the elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for the good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the house of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Verse 11. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Stone, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. <coughs> the third quotation goes back to Isaiah. Again, it's the same. It's a little different, but he just takes a portion of that where it says, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. The rejection of Jesus Christ is fatal. It's a death sentence to reject Jesus. It is in connection with disobeying the message of God's word. To disobey the message is to reject it. People hear the message, and when they don't respond to it in a positive way, they are rejecting this message. They are disobeying the message that is sent forth. And to those who believe, it is counted for them as righteousness. <coughs> there are those who say, well, I'm not ready to make that decision, to make that choice. But by not choosing, they have made their choice. And so by not receiving Jesus, they by default reject him. You cannot not make a, you have to make a decision. If you say, well, I'm not making one, you've made it. It's plain and simple. It's not that hard to understand. All those who do not receive Christ as their Savior will one day Stand before him as their judge. You see, you and I as Christians, our sin was judged on the cross. When you received Jesus, then all your sin was paid for already. He has judged it already. We can look at him as our Savior, but because sin, all disobedient believers, unbelie or all disobedient non-believers, I'm sorry, are destined for a stumbling. They will be led to eternal condemnation. 
He's playing it pure and simple here. He's painting it pure and simple here, Peter is. He's saying, this is what he has chosen for you. If you become a living stone, he has called you to become. You have life. If not, there's eternal condemnation. And they will have, those who reject it in that sense, will have no one else to blame. Because their decision not to believe has made their decision. When it comes to Jesus being the rock, <clears throat> what we have learned here, we can either stand on the rock or we can be crushed by the rock. One way or another, the rock will have an effect <laughs> on people's lives. If you have not chosen <laughs> Jesus, if you have not decided, I want to stand on that rock, then one day you will be crushed by that rock. And guys, that's just so plain and simple here. Some of you who are here this morning, you need to make that decision. You need to cry out to him because he is ready to save. Now, what an awesome time of the year. I mean, it's any time's a great time. Salvation is any day. But maybe today you need to make that decision. For so long you have been rejecting it and thinking that you're playing in the middle of the road. You haven't played the middle of the road. Satan owns the road, too. He owns the fence. And those who are in the middle of the road get, get run over. Take sides. Stand for something or else you'll stand for nothing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I do thank you, Lord God, for just once again reminding us through your word who you are. The things that you have revealed to us are amazing, Lord. The simpleness of the gospel here, Lord. Lord, you, you, you've revealed to us even here in these verses the things that we are to put away and the things that we are to desire. You have shown us once again that, Lord, you have chosen us just like you chose Jesus to, 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 to be precious. You want us. You called us, Lord, and you think that we're precious in your sight. Lord, you've given us life. You want us to grow. You've taken your time, Lord God. You've reached out to man. And I just pray, God, that the people would respond. Lord, I know many who are in this room this morning have already responded. Lord, they're, they're walking with you. They understand the first part of this message of who they are. They're serving you. They're doing all. They've offered themselves, Lord. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who just seem to just be there and not growing. I pray for them right now, Lord, that they would desire more of you and less of themselves, less of this world and more of you, Jesus. I just want to pray for you right now. If you're a believer here and, and you just feel like, man, I have not grown, I have not been where I need to be. I just want to pray for you right where you're at. You don't have to come up here. Just raise your hand. I just want that you would acknowledge. Right on. Any more? There you go. I just want to pray for you. That you would take these scriptures. If there's any more, just raise your hand. God sees it. He just wants you to know how precious you are in his sight. And that he wants to grow you. Father, please, Lord, be with my brothers and sisters right now. Bless them and encourage them, God. Lord, remind them 
day in and day out, Lord. Just how precious. Lord, that they would desire the pure milk of the word, that they may grow thereby. Help them to taste of just how good you are. Father, be glorified in their lives, Lord. I thank you for them. And Lord, I pray that, Father, right now, if there's any who have made that decision of not choosing you, Lord, and right now, Lord, God, they are neither, they might think that they're playing in the middle of the road, but they are not with you. I pray for them right now, Lord. And right now, I just want to, if there's anybody, I just want to pray for you right now. Is there anybody here that knows that they need Jesus in their life? Maybe you think you were, but you're not. Is there any of you in here this morning? I want to pray for you. Right on. Anybody else? Lord, I do pray that God, this person who raised their hand right now, Lord, I pray for them, Lord, that, God, you would reveal to yourself to them in such a powerful way that, Lord, they will never be the same. That, Lord, they would grow from this day forward, that you would reveal yourself in such a powerful way that they cannot deny it and that they would desire, Lord God, to taste more and more of how good you are. Grow them up. Teach them. Encourage them, I pray. And I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.